0: Right, good morning all. Uh, the reading this morning is from Genesis 1, 27 to chapter two fifteen, starting at verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over all the fish and the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. The heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. And so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eyes and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of the knowledge, or sorry, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river water in the garden flowed from Eden From there, it's separated into four headwaters. The name of the first one is Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Aromatic, resin, and onyx are also there. And the name of the second river is Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. And the land of the, the name of the third river is the Tigris and it runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of
1: it. Thanks so much, Val. Uh, I thought I'd just make a comment before we start about uh, where you're up to as a church uh, time of transition for you, isn't it, as uh, you've farewelled one senior pastor and you're waiting for another one to come. Uh, keep praying for the Munro's, won't you, uh, for Cameron and Karen as they settle into a new role, in a parachurch role, it's very different from pastoring a church, and I know they'll, they'll appreciate your prayers for them as they adjust to that. Uh, also, Simon and Peter Marshman, they're a couple uh, who I've known since they first started attending university and they started in at the city at the 7pm gathering. So I've known them for uh, at least a couple of decades, I guess. And they are a just a stellar couple, uh, if I can let you know that. They are a high uh, character couple uh, who I think will be ideal, actually, for this next stage of Trinity Bay. And I'm sure you'll get to know them uh, in due course. Uh, but do be praying for them, too, as they think about uh, moving down this way, the changes that will involve for them and uh, their, their three children. I can also just say to you all how thankful I was to work with the leadership team and with Lauren, who was a part of the group, looking for uh, the new senior minister for your church. They did an outstanding job and uh, were very complimentary with each other, thinking through the issues for you as a church, thinking about the people they needed. So... Uh, it's one of those jobs, that, it's very unseen and you don't, you don't know the hours they put into that and the prayerful thought, but they've, they really did a, a great job and they're a delight to work alongside. And also, I want to say how thankful I am that uh, Matt and Annika Winter are here and for Matt stepping into that sort of acting senior pastor role until Simon uh, takes it up. Uh, I've known again Matt for a number of years since he was at university and it is, again, such a terrific couple. And Matt has many gifts. You're well aware of that. And I'm just delighted you're in such uh, capable, servant-hearted hands over these next few months as you wait for some to come. So, uh, yeah, know that everyone else around the network is praying for you. Transitions always you know, bring with it a change, but, but also opportunity too. So we'll be praying for you as you press forward. We'll turn to the Bible now, uh, which is what, what we've gathered to do and let me pray as we do that together heavenly father we thank you that you're a god who uh, speaks to us you speak to us clearly Um, father we pray that you'll help us as we reflect on the nature of work uh, what it means for us as we live in your world to serve you and the implications uh, particularly for those of us who have uh, paid employment or will have as we think through with the the way in which we serve you in that sphere so we commend ourselves to you as we turn to your word and uh we we pray these things in jesus name amen when it comes to paid employment i think most of us have sort of a love-hate relationship when it comes to it uh some of us live to work you know we're waiting for mondays to turn up because we just love the jobs we're doing it uh, some of us uh work to live that is we do the jobs in anticipation of the time we get away from work, so we can enjoy it and a lot of our attitude to work uh, can be shaped by all sorts of different influences, so it can be shaped uh, uh, by when you were born so throughout history, uh, most people have not made choices about what they did for a job; they just did whatever their parents did. You know your father was a carpenter you 'd be a carpenter or your mother was a seamstress that 's what you'd do or you know there was that sort of pattern and it 's only a very recent innovation in first world countries that we have much choice when it comes to employment. Sometimes it's affected by the generation that you're born into. I remember my son that's staying with us right now, one day I was talking to him about uh, uh, working a little bit harder at his studies at one point in time, which is what fathers are meant to do, I understand. He said, he had this sort of reflective look. This is when he was at university. He had this reflective look on his face. He said, Dad, maybe one day I'll be as driven as you are. <laughs> and I thought, oh right, okay. You know, but but it's true, you know, my generation, the boomer generation, we tend to be regarded as the overworkers wanting to conquer and control the world, type people. Uh, Gen Z, they tend to be a generation that uh, want to restrict the amount of time they dedicate to work, but they still want all the perks as if they were conquering the world. You know, the same uh, time off and uh, rate of pay and that sort of thing. And I'm not having a you gotcha if you fall into one of those categories. I'm just saying, as a generalisation, that seems to be the reality. It can depend on your stage of life, your attitude to work. That is, whether you're a student or a stay-at-home parent or unemployed or a retiree. It can depend on the family that you're born into. Uh, Sue and I uh, have very different families of origin. So in my family, there was no expectation that any of us four children would complete high school, let alone go to university. And uh, I was the only one who actually finished high school and went to university with our four kids. Sue's family, four kids, it was expected that every child would finish high school and every child would get tertiary educated for a job. It was just the expectation around the family i 'm not saying right or wrong, it was just the influence that we grew up with. Your attitude to work can be affected by the job itself. Some jobs suit the talents we have, but sometimes work is just there to pay the bills. you know It can feel that way it 's just a task to be done but whatever the case, we all know that employment occupies a significant part of our existence, both physically and emotionally. Uh, So physically, it's estimated that the average Australian today will work roughly 100,000 hours during the course of their life. Second only uh, to the amount of time you spend sleeping. It's significant. Occupies a big chunk. But maybe even more importantly than that, it significantly affects the way that we feel about ourselves. So one of the most common questions in our culture, a defining social question, especially with people when you're meeting them for the first time, is what do you do? What do you do? Now, I know it's sort of a polite and friendly inquiry, uh, but a lot of the way we feel about ourselves uh, is shaped by the way other people regard what we do or the way we regard uh, what we do. We're thinking about where work fits in God's schema for us in the world, knowing that it's a powerful reality. So let's let's tuck into it. The first thing we discover as we get into the Bible, and Val read so well for us, is the fact that uh, we are made to work. We start off the Bible with God as the worker, God getting his hands dirty. Uh, So at the beginning of uh, Genesis chapter 1, we see that God systematically constructs a universe uh, from nothing, no raw materials at all. And he creates beauty. He creates goodness. And he's intimately involved in the world that he's made. He sustains it. Uh, We discover that God made people. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Some of these verses will just pop up on the screen. Uh, We're told that God created mankind in his own image and gives us a responsibility to work in his world. So we get to Genesis 1 verse 26 and we're told that our task is to rule over creation. That's a little bit crass to our ears. The idea is tend creation. When you get to chapter 1 verse 28, the picture there is that we're to fill the earth and subdue it, uh, to, to have a level of mastery over it. We come to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, and we're told there that the Lord takes the man and places him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Right? God creates the world, places humanity in the world to tend to the world, to make it work. Now, I want you to step back from that for a moment because it seems to me that it didn't have to be this way. God didn't have to create in this manner. He could have created a self-propagating world. He could have created a world that had pop-up sprinklers built in, you know, that uh, took the pain out of gardening. He could have created a world where livestock and animals were self-regulating, you know, where sheep every year would just line up and just sort of shake their shoulders, and fleeces would fall off in a pile, you know. Or you could be walking along, feeling hungry, and a fish would jump out of the river onto a frying pan and just cook itself. You know, like it, it could have actually been done remarkably differently by God. And if God had set it up that way, he would have freed us up, wouldn't it? Uh, freed us up to watch more Netflix, read books, and drink endless cups of free trade coffee in hipster cafes. You know, like it could have been like that uh, where we had a lot more flexibility. But God has made us to work. Uh, he's actually built that into his created order. And not only that, it seems to me that God has made us uh, in his own image, and that means there's, there's a level of creativity about the way in which he's wired us. Uh, I really run into someone who doesn't get a level of satisfaction from creating something with their hands, whether it be, you know, sewing an item or uh, gardening and seeing the fruit of labor in a gardening context, painting a picture or doing some carpentry or servicing a car, whatever it is, most of us get satisfaction out of the sort of the fruit of our hand and applying ourselves in that way. Now, those of you who know me know that I have very a very low threshold when it comes to my skills in a handyman sense, right? Very low, right? Very, very low. And... We had this washer in our shower that was uh, faulty, and we're having this dripping shower for a number of weeks. And Sue would occasionally comment that it would be good if this drip would stop. You know? And uh, I agree with her, of course. But I'd, sometimes when I turn my hands to those activities, they don't turn out so well. Sue went out one Sunday morning. I thought, OK, I'm going to do it. Right? So I got out the tools, you know, switched off the water, you know, pulled the tap apart. Replace the washer and it stopped dripping. I said this as a surprise in my voice because it doesn't always work this way. The drip stopped. I had an inordinate amount of pride in the fact that I'd achieved this task. When Sue came home, I insisted the first thing she did was come into the shower and look at the fact that there was nothing to look at, you know, that the, the drip had stopped. I felt so pleased with myself. I went out in the front yard and tried to busy myself in the garden, hoping neighbours would go past so I could say, what have you been doing this morning? So they would ask me what i had been doing. I could say, I fixed a washer in my shower and stopped it dripping. You know? But you know, not, perhaps not that experience, that might be trivial for you, but you know the experience of actually accomplishing something with your hands. And I take it that's because we are made in the image of God. You see, there is a dignity about our work. Uh, The way Genesis 1 and 2 is framed is that we are God's subcontractors in his world. Uh, We work in a world that God owns at his discretion. Now, can I say that idea of being God's subcontractors, that is so foundational to understanding our own sense of identity. Uh, And that's whether you, you earn a salary or not. You go to Colossians chapter three, verse seventeen. Be up on the screen, and we read there: "Whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him." You get it? Paid employment, unemployment, student, retiree, stay-at-home parent—all the same. Big boss, oh God. He's the one we serve. But as we progress through the Bible, uh, we discover that the work, as with all activity in this world, it'll always have a fatal flaw. We come to Genesis chapter 3, and we discover that the fall, the rejection of God, affects our work. If the storyline of the Bible stopped at the end of Genesis chapter 2, you would conclude that life and work would be terrific, satisfying, and fulfilling. That'd be your conclusion if you only had two chapters in the Bible. But by the end of the third chapter of the Bible, that ideal is shattered. In Genesis 3, God is rejected, and it corrupts everything, including work in this world. Genesis 3, verse 17, we see God speaking to Adam, and he says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil... You'll eat of it all the days of your life. It'll produce thorns and thistles. Pick it up. Work involves pain. Through painful toil, you'll eat of it. Work is frustrating. It'll produce thorns and thistles. You now, I made my lawn just a few weeks ago, but I'll guarantee sometime before Christmas, I'll have to do it again. You know, like it's just the way lawns work, they keep growing. Work is hard, verse 19. By the sweat of your brow, you'll eat your food. And here's the thing. Work is ultimately pointless. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 19 of Genesis. To dust, you will return. So even if you have your dream job, say you're in medical research, working on discoveries that uh, bring life and healing for people with cancer. And you see, you, you make a great breakthrough. I've got a friend who's done this, made a great breakthrough that's impacted hundreds of thousands of lives across the globe for several decades. But this friend, it's interesting, he still has to work with really frustrating hospital administrators and he still gets really tired and exhausted. He's still, there's still frustrations built into this dream job and with his long-range spectacles on, he knows that what he's doing has limited effect. Uh, some of you all know that Sue had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma just a few years ago. Now, I'm incredibly thankful uh, for the medical discoveries that were able to be applied to her sickness. And she's in a great space health-wise right now. We were very thankful for the doctors and the medical staff that treated her, incredibly thankful. But Sue and I, and all of you, we all know that they just put off the inevitable. I don't mean that Sue's going to die of cancer. Um, She may or she may not. You know, we we don't know what that will look like. But we do know that she'll die, and I'll die, and you'll die. That's inevitable whether it's 10, 20, 40, 60 years' time, that is the reality. We will all, Genesis chapter 3, turn to dust. God creates. He creates us in relationship with him to serve. There's a fatal flaw with work. But the other thing the Bible is really clear about is that there is a necessity with work. Um, Genesis 1 and 2 shows the way in which Adam and Eve are set up to cultivate food for their survival, their existence. And that's a bill that keeps getting rung as you go through the whole of the Bible. We go to a place like 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, verses 6 to 10. Again, it'll come up on the screen. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we command you brothers and sisters to keep away from every believer who is idle and doesn't live according to the teaching that you receive from us, Uh, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. You get the picture here, don't you? That that we work to provide for our needs, uh, to put food on the table, uh, a roof over our heads, to care for our families, to provide generously for people in need, to be generous for the work of the gospel. You could find those examples at numbers of different spots as you go through the Bible. And let me... Just be clear here, when it says the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat, it's not talking about those who can't find work. It's talking about those who won't work. Uh, We live in a society where those who have work can support those who can't get work, and that's an appropriate way for us to relationally care for and be responsible. Uh, But the picture here is very clear of working for needs, working for the practicalities of life. You see, what we get in this really brief overview, work is good, work's frustrating, and work is necessary. The Bible actually, I think, provides a brilliant diagnostic framework to understand the place of work in our world. What I'm going to do is I just want to capture it with three very quick diagrams just to show you how I think the Bible frames this stuff. Okay, So the first diagram you can see on the screen there captures the picture in Genesis 1 and 2. That is, God makes us and he gives us meaning and purpose. God creates the world and it's good. And we have responsibility as God's subtenants to care for his world. Right? Genesis 1 and 2, that is the snapshot. This next diagram I'm going to throw up We we get to the end of the situation in Genesis 3. Uh, There's a rejection uh, of God by humanity, broken relationship. Uh, There's judgment both on the world and on people. It is the whole created order. And instead of looking to God for meaning and identity, what we do is we tend to look to creation uh, to establish who we are. Do you notice how it's all back to front at that point? It's all thrown upside down. Now, in this third diagram I'll just throw up, I want to show the, what I think are the implications for our work. Uh, God curses creation. He judges it. What that means is God frustrates creation or work. Uh, that's an inevitability of living in a world that God has judged. And instead of seeing our role as responsibly caring for creation and doing that through our work, We actually look to creation, our work, to provide us with our sense of identity and purpose. And the thing is, in God's created scheme, work was never intended to fill that role in our lives. You see, work was never intended to give us an ultimate sense of meaning and purpose. Okay? Just three simple pictures uh, and if you don't get those down you'd like them we can make sure i can send you a copy of those just let us know on the communication card we can do that okay what i've done is just try to put together the framework for thinking about working in god's created world living in a world that's judged by god what i'm going to do for just a few moments is to explore some of the implications of that worldview as we think about living in god's world okay first is In a post-Genesis 3 world, I think our natural tendency will be to look for our work to provide us the sense of self-worth or uh, we'll tend to value ourselves based on what we do. And throughout history, most cultures have tended to have pecking orders, almost a caste system that was linked uh, to what someone did, someone's value based on the job that they did. So the ancient Greeks, very much like this, they looked on, down on those who engaged in manual labour. Aristotle, he wrote this. The citizens of the state must not lead the life of mechanics or tradesmen, for such a life is ignoble and against all virtue. Now, we get varieties of that in every culture, including Australia. So the... Uh, the ATAR scores you know, for year 12 students coming out to get entrance into university. I don't think they've been published yet, but they will be soon. And they're very predictable, right? We know how they'll be ranked uh, because they only vary slightly from year to year. Uh, to get into university, you need very high marks to, you know, to get into medicine or physio or dentistry or mechatronic engineering, uh, laws normally up there somewhere. And the other thing is that that entrance into university rating matches the way in which society generally holds people in esteem. They correspond in that way. That's no surprise. Can I say God does not value people based on their gifts, their intelligence, their skills, their shrewdness, or their jobs. He does not. Wouldn't it be strange if the one who made us all valued some of those he made more based on the gifts that he gave them. Wouldn't that be weird? Of course it would be. God does not value a high court judge or think a high court judge is any more important than a checkout operator at Coles. Can I ask whether we do See, as a church, uh, as individuals, do we treat people or think differently about people based on the sort of job or employment that they have? I remember being in the city one time after church and a newcomer came up to me uh, and introduced himself and said, you probably don't realise this, uh, but that man over there serving coffee he is a professor at the university. You know? And uh, I said to him, no, it's okay. We let professors serve coffee here. You know, That's fine. You know, <laughs> do, do you understand? He, he didn't think it was appropriate for someone of this man's standing to be doing that job. But, of course, as a Christ, Christian community, it's entirely appropriate. But it's subtle, isn't it? So if you're a parent with children, you know, how do you think about Uh, the education or jobs that your kids get, would it worry you if you had a child that left school at 15 in year 10? On the other hand, would you feel inordinately happy if they went to university and got a prestigious job in a big firm? If you're a student and you give your studies your best effort and fail, do you feel any differently about yourself? So you shouldn't because your worth is not based on your intelligence or your achievement capacity. If you're in paid employment and you lost your job, uh, became unemployed, or had to do something less than what you're qualified to do, would you suffer from relevance deficit? Think less of yourself. If you're a stay-at-home parent, have you experienced a sense of you know loss of identity and significance because you're not in paid employment outside the home? You're just a stay-at-home parent. You see how it can seep into the way in which we think about ourselves and self-identify? It? If you're retired, you still describe yourself by your former job and see yourself as being identified through that sort of means. I'm a retired accountant, teacher, or whatever it might be. Can I say our jobs, or our lack of them, have nothing to do with our value in God's eyes? So, nothing. So let me move on. So, uh, if that's the case, you, you might accept what I've just said, but you might say, but doesn't God want us to achieve our potential Fulfill our potential in our work. And I often hear Christians in particular saying something like this. God wants me to uh, be the best or do, do the best I can possibly do as a substitute job. You know, doctor, lawyer, teacher, nurse, CEO, garbage collector, whatever it might be. God wants me to be the best I can possibly be. Do your best for Jesus. So at this point, it's less about what you do but excelling in whatever you do. And, you know, it actually sounds a bit more Christian, don't you reckon? But it's not. Not at all. Let me, let me try and explain why it's not. Firstly, it's impossible. It, it, who of us has achieved their best at whatever they've ever done? You know, did I do the best at Year 12 I could have possibly done? No. No. Did I do the best at law school I could have possibly done? No. Was I the best lawyer I could possibly have been? No. Am I the best pastor I could possibly be? I'm sorry, no. You know, like, I haven't sort of been able to do... And if you expand your categories beyond work, then it becomes even more obvious, doesn't it? Does God want me to be the best pastor, husband, father, grandfather, neighbour, citizen, church member, sporting club member I can possibly be? I don't know about you, but I... I normally find those things feel like they're competing with each other. And to give more energy to one takes energy from another, which stops me being as good as I can possibly be at any of them. But here's the thing. And you know I'd given the storyline of the Bible. This side of Genesis 3, God himself has actually frustrated our ability to reach our potential in this world. God has made that actually impossible possible so hear me clearly god does not want you to reach your potential at work he doesn't want you to reach your potential at work because that would make work or study or whatever too important certainly more important than god thinks it is now next week i'll come back to this and i'll just explore well what attitude does god want us to have at work And I think we'll discover that actually faithfulness is the word we should be thinking about. You see, what the Bible says is we we fulfill our potential by trusting in Jesus and knowing actually as people we will only reach our full potential when we're raised from the dead and where we dwell with God forever face to face. That's actually the right goal as we think about the future and the right framework to think about our life now. So let me change the lens again. So should we look for job satisfaction? Is that a Christian thing to do or not? Let me take you to Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil, this is a gift from God. Friends, it's, it's a good thing to have work and it's a bonus if you can enjoy it. That is a good thing. But it's unrealistic to think there won't be struggles or stress or difficult colleagues or unreasonable clients or bosses or dishonesty or exhaustion or tedium. Those things are built into work in this world. You know what? I loved working as a lawyer. Uh, I love being a pastor. But only God can satisfy our deepest longings, not actually what we do. That's the reality. If you enjoy your work, can I say it's a great gift, but here's the danger for you. If you enjoy it, you'll tend to dedicate yourself to it because it produces enjoyment for you. And therefore the risk is you'll become a work idolater and you'll look to that. they bring you you joy and your satisfaction in life and it'll squeeze out other things that God will want you to attend to. What about work and money? Uh, should we aim for jobs that pay more money or change, change jobs because we can get more money in another job? Or is that just a bit sort of tacky and sub-Christian? to think about the money. Can I say that when you look at the New Testament uh, there, is no, there is no problem for Christians to earn scillions of dollars. All right? No problems at all. The Bible never speaks against that. Also the Bible never says it's a problem if you don't earn much at all. Both are fine. Uh, what the Bible does say if you go to a place like 1 Timothy chapter 6, especially verses 17 and 19 there uh, Paul is speaking to the wealthy and he doesn't encourage them to stop making money. He encourages them to be generous with the money that they have. Uh, he says that being in love with money, that is the danger. Now, can I say that's a great word for us in our culture because we tend to measure people by what they earn, where they live, what they drive, what they wear, and when they go on holidays when we're allowed to do that again. Okay? That's the way we measure people. But understand that is the Genesis 3 error. It's actually looking to creation to establish people's value, ours and other people, which is, in God's eyes, just a total category error. Friends, we've skated over uh, some big ideas. We'll come back to some of these in the coming weeks. What we discover here, the Bible tells us We are made in the image of God. And that involves us working. It involves us reflecting his character. Uh, There's a satisfaction that comes with work. It is a dignified thing to be able to do. It can be enjoyable. It's a gift if you enjoy your work. But Christians are realists. We have an accurate read on history and life in this world. And we know that this side of Genesis 3, work will be frustrating and tedious. It will be. If you're unconvinced about that, just have a read through Romans chapter 8. It gives you a wonderful framework for thinking about it. But here in Australia, I think we as a nation, we overemphasize the place of a job or a career in providing us with a sense of who we are. And the risk for us, if we're believers, is we will just put this spiritual gloss on the idolatry of our culture and just sort of tweak it a bit so we feel comfortable with the idols of our age. Friends, work has nothing to do with our value in God's eyes or in a Christian community. Our work is just one way, one aspect in which we serve God in his world. That's the way in which we're to think about it. And in the coming weeks, we're going to keep exploring uh, what that looks like to serve God in his world. Okay? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a God who's created the world. You've created it well. Father, we know that the reality is we live in a world uh, that's uh, got a fatal flaw in a sense uh, we're out of step with you and that has all sorts of implications for life and our relationships and work too uh, father we pray that as we put our trust in jesus you'll help us to be right centered as we think about life in this world and that you'll help that to flow into every area of life including how we think about serving you in this world and through our work uh, father today and the coming weeks, keep shaping our minds and hearts so we have clarity about what it means to live for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.